So just a, a brief programming note before we uh, begin here today. This is our uh, last morning in John for, for a couple weeks. Next week we're going to have our, our Christmas celebration. The week after that, carols in the round. So be sure to come back for, for both of those. And then that week between Christmas and New Year's, we're going to dive right back into John. So, you know, for, for now, enjoy this while you can. We're going to be taking a John break. And our, our passage is indeed enjoyable. We're looking at uh, John, John chapter 4 today. Uh, the second half of it, we're actually going to start in verse 27. We're going to go all the way to verse 42. And then that uh, pass right there, 43, is where Bruce will pick it up after Christmas. And um, as you can see, if you look at your handout there, the passage is, is laid out in three paragraphs, kind of three movements to this passage, three acts, if, if you want to think about it in theatrical term. Acts one and three, the first and third paragraph, they're kind of like the bread of the sandwich, all right? They are the, the, uh, the narrative parts of this passage. They're basically uh, continuing the story that we looked at from, from last week, where Jesus was talking with this a Samaritan woman at the well, and he's, you know, crossing all these boundaries, talking about uh, living water and all that. So Acts 1 and 3 continue that story. They kind of show us how that ends up resolving. And then in the middle, Act 2, the meat part of the sandwich, is the dialogue. This is where Jesus turns his focus from the Samaritan woman to his followers, who now are on the scene, the, the, the 12 disciples. And he says to them, don't just, you know, watch me. Uh, cross all these boundaries. Don't just watch me seek out the lost and, and offer, offer living water to, to those who are thirsty, but get out there and do it with me. That's what Jesus says in, in Acts 2. That's the call that we hear, the, this strong and, and urgent and really, really beautiful call of Jesus when you see it in, in all of its rich imagery and all that, for his followers to join him in his mission. The mission of Jesus. This is really the first time uh, in our passage here that we hear this call distinctly in the book of John. Because from the get-go, we know that Jesus is a man on a mission in in this gospel. He's been sent, as John 3.16 puts it. We also get this sent language in in our passage today, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent His one and only Son, so that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, Jesus Jesus is here on a rescue mission. He's rescuing people um, from sin and and all of sin's consequences for God. From sin for God. This is what Jesus is all about. He's on a rescue mission. Jesus is here to uh, gather a family is another way uh, John describes this mission. mission. In, in John 1.12, right at the beginning of the book, I love this. But to all who did receive him, that's received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is the mission of Jesus. It's to gather a family, to take these uh, human beings, us, these, these, these people, these creatures that have been uh, twisted by sin and in our, are, are in rebellion against God and then transform them so that they might be sons and daughters of God, a family. It's to take people who were exiles, who were just kind of wandering, lost and lonely, and Jesus is here to give them a home, to bring them into his home. It's to take those who are thirsty 
As we see just in the, in the first part of this story that we looked at last week, take those who are thirsty and give them springs of living water welling up to eternal life. This is what Jesus is here for. This is the mission of Jesus. And right here, in our passage today, we hear the call of Jesus for his followers to join him in that mission. This is not a solo mission. The New Testament makes that abundantly clear. Jesus makes that clear right here. He wants his followers to join him in this. Be my messengers, he says. Be workers in my harvest is, is the metaphor that he uses in our passage this morning. Be partners in, in my work of gathering this family from, from people all around the world. Jews, yes. Samaritans, yes. People, anybody. And do, and do this by pointing them to me. A call to evangelism is a, is a way that you could summarize the main point of this passage right here. A call to share the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. That's what evangelism means. It means sharing good news, saying this is incredible. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's done for me. And sharing it with someone who needs it. Anyone. A rich man on a rooftop. A Samaritan woman at a well. Anyone. There's actually a really cool sense in, in which what we see in this section of John right here is actually uh, parallel to another call from Jesus that we see at the beginning of the book of Acts. It's, this is actually some of the, the last words that Jesus says after his resurrection and before he ascends into heaven. Acts 1.8, he says this, but you, that's my followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. I like the way that the King James has it, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. You know, it's like this idea, just that there's no corner of the earth where my message is not intended to be proclaimed. This is my mission, and I want you to be a part of it. Everyone, for everyone. It's the global perspective of Jesus' message. And I like how you can see this. Uh, movement right here geographically speaking he says you will start in jerusalem then in all judea that would be like the area around jerusalem then samaria where our story is today and then to the ends of the earth it's cool because this is the same geographical movement we see literally happening kind of in 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 john 4 uh, this, this chapter starts out with Ju- Jesus and his disciples in the Jerusalem, Judea vicinity. They travel to Samaria where he meets this woman at the well. And then the very last verse of our passage in this um, ringing statement from the lips of the Samaritan people, they say, we know that this, meaning Jesus, is indeed the Savior of the world. So, not just of the Jews, not just of the Samaritans, but of the world, even to those who dwell the uttermost parts of the earth, which definitely in the minds of these people living at this time or in this passage, that would certainly include Tacoma, Washington, the uttermost parts of the earth. This is, this is why we're celebrating here. This is why we care about this message. This is why this call is for us. This is the call of Jesus. We need to hear this. Be my witnesses, he says. Be my ambassadors. Uh, be workers in my harvest wherever you are because my message is for anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your job is to have the joy of making that message, this offer of living water, making it known, making it available 
to those who are thirsty. So the question that's really been on my mind all week is I've been, I've been thinking about this and, and thinking about my own life. Why is it that we are so often hesitant to do this? Or sluggish in, in really answering this call, dreading it in some cases. Like, let me, let me just throw out, uh, you know, well, actually, I'll, I, I think one of the main reasons is when you look at the life of Jesus, another major theme, other than that, you know, he's a man on a mission, is the theme of rejection. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. We read that from the beginning of the book, too. Yes, he's on this mission, and guess what? This mission is going to have a lot of hardship in it. His own people. One commentator said, you could take, basically take this verse right here. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive it. You could put it on a flag, and you could plant it over the whole first half of the book of John. I mean, this is just what we see over and over. Jesus presenting his message, and, and by and large... It being rejected. Him being rejected. People wanting to kill him throughout this whole book. And, and sadly, I mean, things have not changed much over the last 2,000 years, 2000 years. And that's because people have not changed much over the last 2,000 years. For us, at our core, our values on the inside. We also live in a culture in which the, the message of Jesus, you know, it's going to sound like foolishness more often than not. Offensive, even, maybe, depending on who you're talking to. And we know this in our minds that we're, more often than not, we also are going to face rejection when sharing this message. We're going to feel awkward. We might end up looking stupid or or worried that uh, our image is going to somehow be tarnished by, by what we're trying to share here. And so when we see this rejection over and over again, I mean, there's little wonder that we ourselves are scared to do this. I think it's our, uh, really comes down to our own problems in here and in here, head and heart, more so than the problems out there. And that is why we need this passage right here so badly. Let's think of some imaginary scenarios. Okay, these are kind of the sort of things I was thinking, like, when would I this week turn to this passage if I really needed some motivation to keep going with this, to keep going with Jesus' mission. So let me throw out some scenarios where this might be what you need to hear. Say it's like a Thursday night, and you and your spouse, kind of you're, you're, look, you're getting out your calendars, you're trying to plan the weekend, and you, and you look at your phones and you're like, holy cow, we've got every single night free this weekend. Friday, Saturday, Saturday this is the holidays, and we have every night free? How, when, when does that ever happen? And immediately your mind goes to, oh, we're going to finish that series on Netflix finally. I mean, we've been working on it for like four months. We're going to finish it this weekend. It's going to be amazing. We can still get projects done during the day, and then at night, every night, we're going to binge this sucker. Then you also think of those neighbors who, like, oh my goodness, we exchanged phone numbers with them last summer when Randy was twisting our arms about the gospel comes with a house key, and we talked about getting together, and we've talked about it, we've talked about it, but it's just never really worked out. You think, well, maybe they're free one of these evenings this week. We could text them then we wouldn't finish the series and it's been so stressful at work. And I mean, when do we get this much time together? You know, can you relate to this? My, my wife and I have these kind of conversations. You know, or maybe you're a student uh, and you're either, you're in some sort of context where you know most of the people around you are, do not share your beliefs and the topic of faith comes up. And you have the choice, am I going to 
take this opportunity to let people know really what I believe, or am I just going to kind of keep flying under the radar here? Which, what, what am I going to do? You know, or maybe you're getting ready to go like on a business trip in the new year, and you know you're going to be with coworkers who are actually of a different religion, openly of a different religion, and you're going to be having some extra opportunities to talk with them while you're traveling, while you're, you know, sitting in restaurants, working on presentations, you know, whatever it is, and you think, you know, am I going to take this opportunity to ask them about what they believe and try to explore how it is that they arrived where they are and and hopefully get to figure out how much do they know about Jesus? Do they even know about this offer of living water that means so much to me personally? Have I ever had a chance to talk to them about it? Am I going to try to take those opportunities? Am I going to pray about that? Seek it out? Or am I just going to keep kind of just trying to make this business trip as easy and non-awkward as possible. Or maybe the most common example for, for a lot of us, and probably the most difficult, I think, is around the holidays when we get extra opportunities to spend time with family members that we know as a fact are not walking with Jesus right now. These are people, maybe you've shared the message of Jesus with them a hundred times. You know they've heard it. They've sat next to you in church when you guys were growing up or whatever, and you know that their heart is hard, there's just no use to this. Why? Why would I keep doing this? Why would I keep trying to reach out to them? Maybe there's even a big, you know, rift in that relationship. You don't even like this person. <laughs> you have to love them because you're related to them, but you don't like them. You know, are you going to try to share the message with Jesus with them? Are you going to look for these opportunities? Or just kind of go to the gathering, keep things safe, keep things surfacy? You know what I'm saying? We could, we could just keep listing off more and more of these examples because there are so many different opportunities that each one of us has, if we have the eyes to see them, just kind of in the normal course of everyday life to join in Jesus' mission right here, to answer this call by sharing his message with someone who needs it. But almost always, we can find a reason or an excuse within ourselves not to do it. This is why we need this call of Jesus right here in the meat of our passage today. Because in this middle section, what I love about it is Jesus doesn't just invite his, his followers to do this or command it just as a, as, a, um, as a point of obedience and then leave it at that. No, what I love about this section is he motivates us to do this. Five, five different ways that Jesus does this that I can observe in this passage here. Five different uh, motivations for mission is, is how you could call them there. Five different ways how what Jesus says here should really spur us on and and get us inspired to be faithful in in answering this call to share his message, to to gather people into God's family and be one of the the means that God uses to do that. Again, it's it's so timely for us. Christmas and the holidays just seem to create so many of these different opportunities, either to connect with family or to to connect with neighbors for this to happen. And I hope what what Jesus says right here really inspires us, the people of Fellowship Bible Church, and all of our different ways and the I mean, if you made a list of all the different people that just the people in this room are going to interact with over the next three weeks, you know, when we're on this break from John, how long would that list be? It'd be huge. You know, all the different circles we have, the different souls that we come in contact with, thirsty people who need Jesus. This is an extraordinary opportunity that, that lies before us. And I hope that this passage today really inspires us to make the most for it, make the most of it and see what God can do through us. So let's get motivated. Starting in verse 27... The start of our passage, the resumption of the story. Just then, his disciples came back. His meaning Jesus' disciples came back. And I've got to pause here because this is almost, you know, this is like humorous, the way that, that John narrates this here. 
So our passage last week ended with a cliffhanger of sorts. You've got uh, Jesus, he's been talking to this woman that he is, he's met at this well for a while now. They've been going back and forth about living water, uh, religious customs, Jewish Samaritan issues, all that. And then at the very end of the, the conversation, Jesus just drops a bombshell. He says, I who speaks to you am he. Meaning, I am the Messiah, me, this guy right here sitting at the well, the one speaking to you. I am the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. I mean, it is just a bombshell of a statement. It's a, it's, it's a, a, a drop your jaw. Is, is this guy really saying what I, what I think he's saying? Full identity of the Christ, Jesus, to this seemingly random Samaritan woman at a well. I mean, that's extraordinary. You can almost like uh, hear the gasp, you know, or see the shock written all over this woman's face. And then just then, meaning at that very moment, as soon as the words were off Jesus' lips, here come the disciples bumbling in, carrying the groceries, you know. It actually, it makes me think of uh, how just, just seconds after I first told my wife that, that I loved her, this is when we were in college, in this very uh, tender and private romantic moment, we were standing out on the, the ice of my, my parents' uh, frozen lake, there was the Christmas lights reflecting and glittering all over the place, and as soon as the words were off my lips, our neighbor from across, across my parents' little bay there sees us out there and comes running. He has no clue what's going on. He's just excited that I'm home from college. And he comes running out, and he gets up to us, tries to stop. His feet slip out from under him, and his head just cracks on the ice like the first part of his body to land. He gets a mild concussion right there at our feet. It was just a total shift in the mood. And this... This is exactly what happens right here in verse 27. Okay? So, back to the story. Just then, his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek, or, or, or why are you talking to her? Those are both two ways of saying, Jesus, what are you doing? Do you know what you're doing here? But they didn't say it, because they respect their rabbi. So, the woman left her water jar... And went away into town and said to the people, now she's back in the town talking to her fellow Samaritans, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Again, going back to the story last week where Jesus knows all this stuff about her, he couldn't have known unless he was from God. She says, this is what he said about me. Could this be the Christ? Could this really be the one who he said he is? They, that is the other Samaritans, went out of the town and were coming to him. This is a uh, a type of verb that shows kind of an ongoing action. So they start coming. So th- when we're looking at this middle section here, it builds a sense of anticipation. This whole time Jesus is talking to his disciples, we should picture the Samaritans coming from a distance toward him, like just streaming down this path, and they're going to gather around and see what this Jesus guy is all about for themselves. So kind of builds, again, that sense of anticipation. We've seen how Jesus interacted with one Samaritan, How is he going to respond to a whole crowd of them? Well, you'll find out. They're coming. Meanwhile, verse 31, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Rabbi, eat. Now, I can actually empathize with the the disciples here. Have you ever tried to get someone to eat when you know they should be eating? My mom would have us uh, do this for my dad all the time on hunting trips. Before we left, she would say, Hey, kids, listen, make sure that your dad eats something. Because... He'll get outside, you know, and be all excited that we're in the outdoors and, and having fun and all that. And he'll go hours without even eating anything. So she, you know, tells us to try to, like, 
shove a Pop-Tart in his mouth or Ritz cracker with cheese Whiz, one of those duck-blind classics, but to get him to eat because otherwise he's just going to get increasingly wild-eyed and use poorer judgment throughout the day. So this is the same sort of thing that's going on right here. They need to get Jesus to eat something. As far as they know, he hasn't eaten anything all day. That's why they went into town, right, was to buy food. They didn't have any food with them. Now they're back with the food, and apparently Jesus is not interested in eating anything. Why is this? Well, he wants to give his students an object lesson. Verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Again, it's just this classic case of Jesus talking about one thing and everyone else thinking he's talking about something else, just like with the living water in the last, just like when he's talking to Nicodemus about the, uh, you know, being born again. Jesus has secret food, apparently. That's what the disciples think. If, if he says, I have food you don't know about, does that mean he's got like a loaf of bread hidden away in his, in, in his robe or some fish up his sleeve or something? Like he is packing snacks. Or maybe somebody gave him food. Maybe that strange lady that we saw him talking to when we walked up, did she, did she like make him something? Why, like, did somebody bring him? I didn't give him food. Did you guys give him food? Then Jesus makes the metaphor clear. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, that would be God, again, using this sent language of a man on a mission, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. This is my food. And really what Jesus is doing right here in, this, in metaphor form is he's giving his followers motivation number one to join with him in this mission of, of, of sharing his message, and that is it is satisfying. Truly satisfying. That's, that's the idea behind the food symbol right here. For, for Jesus, doing this, this work of God and, and spreading the message of his kingdom and, and, this, and this universal offer of salvation, just like he's been doing this, this whole time while the disciples were gone into town buying the food, when, when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, that's what he, it's, for him, that's like eating. That is what fills Jesus up. This is what satisfies him. It is doing the work of God, and this is what will satisfy each one of us too when we partake in it eternally satisfying. Doing the work of God is, is, will, will fill you up. Like, you know, eating a delicious cheeseburger or something like that. It just, it, it sustains you in a way that pursuing other things, pursuing your own selfish pursuits will not fulfill you in that same way as doing something truly eternally worthwhile. True fulfillment, Jesus is saying, has come from doing what you were born to do, to participating with him in the message of his kingdom. This is the sort of thing that we need to think about when we're looking at, like, you know, our weekend. And we're thinking, boy, will that, you know, finishing that series on Netflix, will that really, truly satisfy me? This is the sort of thing we need to consider. The motivation Jesus gives here is that there is nothing more satisfying than doing the work of God and partnering him the way that you were born to do and called to do. Verse 35, Jesus continues, Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. This is motivation number two for mission. And that is that, I mean, the the clock is a ticking on this. The clock's a ticking. That's that's the point Jesus is making by by talking about the harvest right here. Anyone who's um, worked on a farm or maybe has 
has friends who are farmers know that the harvest time, it's a time of major urgency on a farm. You know, these people have been working all year to get stuff ready for this one, you know, like two to three week window where you can actually bring in the crop. This is where they make all their money for the year. You know, you get this wrong, you're not making any money that year. I guess you got crop insurance that might help, but you know, this is the time you got to work. I had a roommate in college who, uh, his uncle owned a, a wheat farm kind of by the, the tri city. So every year around the harvest, he and all of his extended family, you know, they would all kind of convene around this wheat farm and they would bring in the harvest together, working really, really long days, all of them, 14, 16 hour days, you know, in, in the August heat. I, I never felt that bad for him because he, he did tell me that most of these 14-hour days were spent like in the air-conditioned cab of a self-driving combine listening to John Grisham novels on tape. He actually went through like the whole John Grisham corpus, one harvest, I, I think. So, but you still get this idea. There's this sense of urgency. Like, we've got to get this weed in. We've got to get it in before a, a wildfire comes. Uh, we've got to get it in before it, maybe it, it rains and stuff starts to mold out there. We've we got to get the crop in. It is ripe. The time is now. We need to get to work. And that is the motivation that Jesus is trying to give right here with this part of metaphor. The, 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 the harvest is now. The, the clock is a ticking. That's why he shares that little bit there about, you know, there's yet four months and then comes the harvest. It seems like Jesus is probably quoting um, some sort of local proverb here. Or kind of a common saying, right? It's uh, a, a proverb about patience is what it looks like. You know, you do all this work to plant a field, but then someone says this proverb then reminds you, hey, there's still four months till the harvest. Like, you got some time to wait. Kind of like the, the ancient equivalent of uh, Rome wasn't built in a day, or uh, a watched pot never boils. There's four months till the harvest. Well, in regard to Jesus' mission, this saying is not true. Look, Jesus is saying, lift up your eyes. The fields are white. The harvest is right now. There's not four months. You need to get out there and get picking. I mean, this is another one of those factors that should cross our minds when we're, uh, you know, planning our open weekend or we're getting ready for another business trip or whatever. I mean, we don't know how many more weekends like this we have left. We don't know how many opportunities we'll have with our coworkers. We don't know how many opportunities we'll have with family that we have left. There should be a, an appropriate sense of urgency in this mission for Jesus' followers. Making the most use of the time. Redeeming the time is, is how Paul puts this. We, we should look at time differently as Christians than other people do because we know that there is a unique window we have right now to participate in God's work and we need to be getting about the business of it. Verse 36. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. Another saying, another proverb. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Actually, two motivations kind of embedded into this next movement in the, the harvest metaphor here. Mo- motivation number one is the promise of reward for those who participate in this. That's the whole idea there with the, you know, the receiving wages, uh, this, this gathering fruit. Now, some of this does harken back to that urgency idea that we just looked at, that you know, the clock is a ticking, especially that word already. You know, already. Hey, people are already receiving their wages. At this time, people did not collect 
uh, their wages if you were a farm worker until you brought in some fruit for the harvest. You know, you weren't like paid halfway through. You're, you were paid when, when you brought in your portion of the harvest. And so when Jesus is saying already, hey, people are getting paid, he's saying this harvest is going. It's going on right now. So get out there and work. You don't want to miss out on this. And that's really the, the next part of this metaphor here is that God rewards those who work in his harvest. Gathering fruit for eternal life. I mean, that's uh, basically an equivalent saying to what, uh, equivalent, equivalent way of saying what Jesus calls elsewhere, storing up treasure in heaven. Right? This, uh, we covered this kind of a few weeks ago, but that term there, eternal life, doesn't just mean um, everlasting life, like that, that, that it's long, long, long life, though it is that. But it really means life of the age to come or life in God's kingdom, which, yes, is eternal. It doesn't have an end, but it's also it's bigger than that. It's not just a duration of your life, but the the quality of this life you receive when you come to Jesus. Uh, 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 Resurrection, this this new family, a glorious kingdom with with Jesus as the king. When when you join in me and in my mission, you're storing up treasure in this kingdom. You're storing up treasure for this Age to come, Jesus is saying, You're, you are gathering fruit that is, that is not going to rot, that is, is not going to go bad, but that you will be able to enjoy for eternity in my kingdom, joy without end. This is, this is your reward when you participate in the harvest of Jesus. And uh, trust me, you will not for one second wish that you had watched another Netflix series when you are in the kingdom of God. You will, you will be just so happy for every moment that you invested in another person and sharing the message of Jesus, that will be your rich and enduring joy. Another factor we ought to consider when we think about these opportunities. The second motivation that's in this section right here. Jesus has already done all the hardest work when he invites us to join as workers in his harvest. He's already done all the heavy labor. That's really the the point here with the, the sower and reaper comparison. It's another proverb Jesus is quoting here. One sows, but another reaps. And yeah, Jesus is saying this, this saying is basically true for the most part. Kind of the wild part about this is that, that this, this proverb right here would normally be a very negative sort of saying. It's kind of like a proverb that it just highlights the unfairness of life, the futility of labor, right? It's, it's one guy sows, but another reaps. One guy does all this work of planting seeds, getting the field ready, tending the seeds, all of this. But another guy is the one who gets to reap all the benefit up from it. I mean, it sounds like something you'd read from the book of Ecclesiastes. One sows, but another reaps. Here, Jesus is just like turning this statement on its head. Uh, yes, the work of Jesus is not fair. Yes, the work of Jesus and his kingdom, it is not equitable in, in any sort of way, but it's the unfairness of the economy of grace, not the unfairness we see all around us in this, this world of sin that we live in. It's this unfair economy of Jesus doing all the hard work, but us invited to share in the harvest and share in the joy. Sower and reaper rejoicing together. Not sower and reaper at odds with each other, bitter about each other. I'm so upset I did all this sowing, but you do all the reaping. No, they're all rejoicing together. This makes me immediately think of, of the, little, the children's story, The Little Red Hen. Anyone read this recently? I've been reading it to my sons. We got it from the library. And I, I was reading it to him last week, and it made me immediately think about this. So in this story, this little red hen decides that she wants to 
plant some wheat. So she goes to all the barnyard animals and she said, who will plant the wheat with me? Well, not I, says the dog. Not I, says the pig. Not I, says the duck. And so the hen says, okay, I'm going to go do this wheat myself. She plants the wheat. A few weeks later, she asks, who's going to water the wheat with me? Not I, says the dog. Not I, says the pig. Not I, says the duck. So she goes and waters the wheat. And this, this pattern keeps going. Who's going to help me harvest the wheat? Not I, not I. Who's going to help me grind the wheat into flour? Who's going to help me mix the flour into batter? Who's going to help me bake a cake? This version that I read my sons was cake, which is better. The one I heard growing up was bread. They've updated it, I guess, to make it more child appealing. So who will help me eat this cake is the last question she asks. She pulls the cake out of the oven. Who will help me eat this cake? What do all the animals do? Oh, yeah, yeah, they come running, right? And, and this is right here at this point is where this book from the Tacoma Library takes a distinctly anti-Christian anti-gospel turn because the hen scolds all the animals tells them that they shouldn't have been so lazy and she proceeds to eat every last crumb of that cake right in front of them that's how the book ends you know i'll tell you what that is not a christian book i don't know why i am reading this to my sons because what what jesus is describing in these verses right here it is the direct opposite of the little red hen story verse 38 i sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. I mean, this is so unfair. This is, this is so unjust because it's grace. Grace is always unfair. Grace is always unjust by definition. You're getting the harvest that you didn't sow. Others have labored, labored, meaning other servants of God who maybe have come before you, like the prophets of old. Maybe meaning the writers of Scripture who have labored and have given their testimony to people to look at. Even the work of Jesus on the cross in, in, in living this perfect life we couldn't live and, and, and atoning for our sins to make the message of Jesus possible. Even the work of the Holy Spirit who, who opens people's hearts to be, to be able to receive this message. All of them have labored and you're invited to enter into that work. And enjoy the fruits of the harvest. This is so unfair. Who wants to eat the cake with me? Jesus asks. We should all come running when Jesus asks that. He is inviting us into joy right here. This, that's really what this call to partner with Jesus and his mission is all about. It's an invitation to joy. This communal joy. A harvest party. That, that's the call of Jesus. Not, not the sower and reaper you know, being envious about each other, angry at each other, or smug like the little red hen, you know, maybe bitter about all the help that she didn't get. But it's sower and reaper rejoicing together in the eternal joy of God's kingdom and having the, the ability to spread that joy to other people. This is just a, a wonderful invitation. Join in my work, share in my joy. This is, this is what we were made for. This is what Jesus is calling us to here. And really the closing scene of this story that third act, third paragraph, it's just a perfect illustration of what all this looks like, this joy. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, believed in Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, They asked him, Jesus, to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, probably to flesh out more what this means to be one of my followers, what life in my kingdom looks like. I would have loved to have heard what Jesus taught over those two days. 
Verse 41, and many more believed because of his word. Do you see this spreading? Do you see it multiplying? They said to the woman, that's the townspeople, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this, pointing to Jesus, this man is indeed the Savior of the world. This is what the harvest looks like. One person. One just Samaritan woman who has to go draw her own water, which shows she's probably low status, probably a peasant, has that, you know, uh, stigma of of having, having had five husbands and all of this. This one woman encounters Jesus. And through that one person, her testimony, an entire region is transformed. You need something, Don? Yes. I'm here to do my testimony as a man. Back and forth to you and I. If you, mind, if, if you don't mind, I'm going to wrap up here, finish the passage, and then want to do it. Uh, maybe talk to me this week and we can schedule yeah. a time or yeah. something. But okay. I heard everything I need to hear. And I definitely want to become a member. And I want to uh, have my Lord into my heart. And uh, I've been coming here for about a little over three years. It'll be Martin Luther King weekend. Uh, everybody knows my parents, Bill and Pat Willis, or not everybody, but anyway, I had a lot of mental drama in my place. I was arrested six hour, 16 hours uh, in my own home. I'm just going to go brief. And anyway, I had a lot of inmates that became my friends because I didn't need the food. Those people, I lost my rights in there. And I found out how much of a privilege I have out here in the real world. And truthfully, uh, the stuff that's happening isn't right in my place, but it's this imaginary boundary. And yeah. my wife and my wife and I are in our hula hoop with our blinders on on a clean cloud. But yeah. Anyway, uh, I just want to say that I am really hearing a lot what I need to hear. Yeah, I'd like and to take it. Can I pray for you? Because I, we, Don and I talked about this a little bit before the service. He did have a really hard week. Like he said, he was arrested on Thursday night. Uh, in a in a as situation we're, as we're planning our weekend, yeah, as you're planning your weekend <laughs> with your wife, yeah, it's not what he planned, but it is. Um, yeah, I think this is something that'd be appropriate for us to pray about. So, will you please join me? And it's an ongoing situation he's had with a with a neighbor, and uh, this is yeah, it's definitely not what uh, Don had planned. So, join me, please, Father. We I do thank you for Don and the work that you've done in his life. I, I just in my conversations with him. Um, I've, I've heard extraordinary ways that you have um, worked through people in his life and worked through relationships and worked through really some difficult circumstances to bring him to a place where he's saying this right now, that he wants to follow you, that he wants to give his heart to you and that he wants to be a member of this fellowship here. And, and Father, that's beautiful. I pray that, that you would help him in all of those areas, help him to continue to grow in the areas he needs to grow. I ask, Father, that you would do a miracle in this situation with his neighbor where he's got this ongoing conflict and and just the 
those bad seeds have been sown there. I pray that um, through your grace, through your spirit, working through Don and his wife and others, that you'd bring healing to that situation, Father, and that you would uh, just continue to help Don to grow and to be a good witness and testimony in his neighborhood and, and everywhere else. And so we commit him to you. Uh, and thank you for him in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, really, when you think about it, it is, it is just one person. And, you know, in, in Don's story, there's a number of these one people that have encountered Jesus and then encountered Don that have helped to bring him to this place. Where I don't, you know, honestly, with the stuff that's gone through in his life, I don't, I don't know if he would, you know, be here in a gathering of, of Christians like we are. So it is an extraordinary, and I know if we went around this room, if we wanted to have people come up here one at a time, there would be extraordinary testimonies of God's grace. I actually thought about this when I was preparing the sermon. Is Man, it would be really cool if we just had you know, people come up one at a time, knowing some of the stories I know here, and talk about this transformation. I know people here who, uh, through weird circumstances, have come in contact with someone who knows Jesus Christ, and through that I've seen whole families come to faith, and, and whole networks. And this is the way it works. This is the way God works, and it's beautiful to see. So... Um, yeah, what, what I love, this is another part, what I love about what Don just did there is he is obviously very enthusiastic about the works God's been doing in his life. Most of us don't, you know, just walk up on stage on a Sunday morning. I hope you remember that because really what this, what, what I want to focus on here at the end of this passage is the unstoppable enthusiasm of this Samaritan woman. It's It's extraordinary. And, and it really all, uh, you know, do you see what the testimony, the, the content of her message was there when she goes and, and presents Jesus Christ to her townspeople? It's not like this. She gives, you know, some detailed theological treaties. She's not a trained Christian apologist who lists all. Here's all the, the reasons why, you know, I know that you need to turn as Samaritans from your messed up beliefs to the true and, you know, proper beliefs in God that have now been revealed to me through Jesus. Really, all she says, the content right here is, he told me all that I ever did. And it's repeated twice in this passage because, you know, we're supposed to notice this. He told me all that I ever did. He told me all that I ever did. This is her message of, of why you should believe in Jesus. It's, all, it's just this highly uh, personal, it's a highly authentic uh, sharing of just what happened to her when she encountered Jesus. And then it's coupled with that powerful two-word invitation that again we've it's come up over and over in in john it just kind of thrills me every time that we see it come whoops there it was come see in verse 29 come and see come see this man who told me all that that i ever did could this could this be the christ could this be really be who he said he is this dusty guy sitting by the well come and see him this really at its core what she is modeling right here is what it means to be a worker in the harvest of jesus it's like, it's not just a matter of, okay, we need to learn all the right tactics, okay, or we need to get so highly trained in the Bible and, and, and in apologetics and all that that we're just going to win every argument every time. No, getting trained in those things is really useful. I study it myself. I hope that, that you do too. But really, at its core, sharing and participating in this mission of Jesus simply means telling other people what Jesus has done for you. And then inviting them with these two words, come see. Come see him for yourself. I, I, I need you to meet this man. He's changed me. He's transformed me in ways I can't describe. You need to meet him too. Come and see. 
And if we're going to be motivated to do this, I mean, the first and most foundational step is to get that awe and wonder and enthusiasm that only comes from truly encountering Jesus and seeing him for who he truly is. It's really the note that I want us to end on right here. It's, uh, it, it's the note of wonder, the, the, the joy of knowing Jesus, the joy that propels us to share him with other people. And I think we see it so clearly in one little detail that was at the beginning of the story. And that is that the woman left her water jar. Did you guys notice that when you were reading verse, verse 28? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town. I just kind of get a little, another one of those little thrills when I read that. And what I love about this detail is it just gives us this window into the woman's heart right now. Because why did she go to the well in the first place? Well, she needed water. Right? I, I mean, uh, that's the only reason that she would trudge out there at high noon in the heat of the day. Like, she really needed water for something. For, for cooking, for laundry, for livestock. You know, there's, there's something that needs getting done in her house. Something she thought was, you know, urgent enough. I'm going to go out here and I'm going to get this water. And it needs getting done. I, I need to do this, so I'm going to do it. But then all of a sudden, she doesn't do it. She doesn't return with the water. She leaves the water jar. Why? It's because she met Jesus. Uh, it's, that's it. She's seen him as the Christ. And in her enthusiasm, in her wonder, and just her, her joy at all of this, she leaves behind her water jar to rush back and tell everyone she knows about him. It's just beautiful. And I think the final exhortation I'd love to leave you with is this. Just come and see Jesus. If you find yourself hesitant to, to share in his mission, if you find yourself uh, really just terrified uh, or, or unsure of yourself to, to, to want to spread his message with other people, people you know who need it, the, the first and, and foremost step is just to see Jesus as he truly is. Don't, it's not to beat yourself up. It's not to feel miserable about it and just try to will yourself into next time I'm going to do better. It's to really look and focus on Jesus more and more. See him as truly is. Reflect on what he has done for you. Reflect on the bigness of this offer of, of salvation, the, the radical beauty of his grace and having seen that let that joy that comes from knowing jesus propel you to share it with others see jesus share jesus this is our calling this is our joy will you pray with me again now father when we look at your son jesus christ we think about who he is. Think about what he's done for every single one of us, people who don't deserve it. There's nobody here who deserves this grace. There's nobody here who's, who's not just a thirsty person who you have filled with your living water. We're so grateful for that, Father. I ask by your spirit that you would help us to see Jesus. Help him to see him more and more every single day. His beauty, his grace. Help us to get the heart of the woman in this passage this heart of wonder, this heart of awe that just wants to uh, share what you've done with us with, with all the people we come in contact with, Lord. By your Spirit, make that real in our hearts so that others may have the joy of participating in your kingdom and we might have the joy of sharing in your harvest. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.